0: What happened was, is back, I think it was the SARS virus, there was a casino that had like 20 million in losses and they won. And a lot of insurance companies then got smart and saw that you know this business interruption claim by the casino um, in Vegas, <coughs> cost insurance company $20 million. So a lot of insurance companies learned that lesson and then put specific virus exclusions in. Um, a lot of them didn't. Breaking news tonight. The coronavirus forcing millions more Americans into
1: virtual lockdown. Our country wasn't built to be shut down. This is not a country that was built for this. It was not built to be shut down. America will again and soon be open for business. Uh, Very soon. A lot sooner than uh, three or four months. There's
0: a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of fear. Um, There's a lot of, you know, wondering if you're risking your life by going to work.
1: Welcome to the Restarting America podcast, where we interview business owners and community leaders about how they have been impacted by and are persevering through the COVID-19 crisis. Today, we are pleased to welcome Alexander Loptus and David Eisenberg of Loptus & Eisenberg. Their practice works on our alternative fee arrangements for all litigation matters. They have recently been in the news after filing a class action lawsuit against an insurance company that alleges businesses have been improperly denied business interruption insurance claims stemming from the COVID-19 pandemic. Before we get started, I'll introduce our guests. Alexander Lovtis is a business and class action attorney. For the past seven years, Alex has been designated a rising star by law and politics and the publishers of the Chicago Magazine, which is a decoration given to only 2.5% of attorneys in the state of Illinois. Most recently, Alexander was chair of the commercial litigation group at Salton Law Offices, where he was 80% plaintiff side contingent alternative fee litigation and international arbitration. David Eisenberg focuses his practice across all facets of commercial litigation. Super lawyers named David an Illinois super lawyers rising star, one of less than the 2.5% of Illinois attorneys under the age of 40, given that distinction every year from 2010 through 2013 and 2015 through 2020. Most recently, David was litigation counsel at Saltman Law Offices and worked on numerous multi-million dollar disputes across a wide range of cases through business planning, mediation, arbitration, and trial. Thank you both for joining us today. Um, Really excited to have you.
2: Thanks a lot for having us, Josh.
1: Got it. So as we get started, I kind of want to just like open up to tell that we obviously we just heard your bios and very impressive and excited to talk to you. But tell us a little bit about yourselves and how we got to get here talking today.
2: Well, where do we start? Um, you know, personally, um, I'm a you know, family man. We've got a wife and two kids. Uh, my daughter will be turning seven. Uh, by the time this airs, she'll be seven. My son is four And Um, But, you know, in terms of business, I've been practicing law for nearly 13 years, uh, focused most of that time in construction law, but uh, I've been doing uh, commercial litigation essentially for that entire time. Um, Alex and I met, you know, probably about a year ago, and uh, we've been working together ever since.
0: So um, I'm a little bit younger than David. I've been practicing for 10 years. Um, the last about seven years I've been doing what I do now, which is um, big complicated commercial litigation. Um, early on when I started doing this, I noticed that the people that did it well charged by the hour and charged an exceptional amount of money um, and nothing could be litigated unless the client had you a know, $100,000 retainer. Um, There's this real empty space in the market for competent lawyers who are willing to take a little bit of risk, and then conversely, when dealing with stuff that's so expensive to defend, they aren't too hard to settle. Um, so if you get the right, you know, the right claim, these things move along pretty good, and everybody comes out. Um, when I went to Stoltman law offices, I learned a lot about how to do things um, with large groups and class actions. Uh, prior to that, I've been doing mostly individuals that have been harmed in some way and a business deal gone bad. Stoltman really picked up on um, dealing with large groups. So like right now, David and I are representing, you know, 35 people who are all franchisees and all got taken advantage of the same way. And it's, it's kind of, it's really fun to bring together a group of people that no individual could afford to bring a claim like this on their own, but we can bring together 35 of them. And um, it's, you know, when you say that someone's lying and they told the same lie to all 35 of your clients, it's a hell of a lot easier to prove than just, you know, one he said, she said. So it's instead, it's, it's, I love it when, you know, you can go in and say me and my herd <laughs> all were harmed. Um, and then at Stoltman Law Offices, I'm still wrapping up some cases with them. And you know, we had cases with 450 individual clients, another one with 500 individual clients. So um, it, it's nice. I, I enjoy the, the shepherding of the herd through something really complicated. Um, and then the, the power that comes with the big groups. So that's that's what we do best, and and more uniquely is managing big groups of people.
1: Got it. Great. Tell me a little bit about uh, Loftus and Eisenberg and how this got started. So you met about a year ago. How did this get started? And uh, how has how has COVID impacted your professional lives, your business? That, tell me a bit about
0: that. COVID really created it. Um, so when I first so I, I was at Stoltman Law Offices before David, and I hired David. And it was always kind of, you know, I, I ran very much my own practice there, separate from everyone else. And um, David was going to be my right-hand man. And um, it was great to be able to, you know, first, you know, hire your partner. Um, and then, you know, we had seven months together, and he was he's amazing, and he's just the, the perfect counterbalance to me. Um, and everything that I don't do well, he does well. And it's just, you know, it's just the perfect guy to work with. Um, So we transitioned from being, you know, both employees of Stoltman Law Offices and then being under me to being partners. And it was really smooth and just it's been a great transition. Um, The transition really was spurred because it made uh, our partners at Stoltman Law Offices very nervous when the virus hit. And all of a sudden, you know, David and I weren't doing anything. And because we've been used to going to court all the time and we'd go to court you know, I'd be unable to do other work two and a half days a week because I'd be physically in a courthouse. Um, so it got real quiet all of a sudden and the phone stopped ringing and everyone got scared. So it was a perfect time to strike out on our own. Um, because no one, everyone thought, oh no, you know, litigation's dying. Um, then what happened was just miraculous in that, you know, because we had that time, we could take on so many more cases. And so now I think right now we have like 95 clients at the firm and, um, you know, it's been a couple months and we're just bumping along and we're handling so much so well because we're, we don't have all that time spent in court. Um, The other thing that's happened is because of the virus, you know, so generally what we do is, you know, there's a business relationship and something changes and frequently what it is, it's either one, one side lied, about something to induce the other person into the deal. And then the other thing that happens, people grow out of the deal. And so it's like, you know, a partnership with a 70 year old guy and a 35-year-old guy. And then the 35-year-old grows up and he doesn't want to be number two anymore. And then you have a fight. Um so with the virus, it created all this change in the business environment and a lot of unforeseen change. And that creates a lot of conflict and a need for lawyers to litigate. And then at the same time because of the virus, businesses don't have the, you know, piles of cash to pay hourly lawyers. So because of the virus, there's some big change in the business that someone has done wrong, creates a claim, but then there's no ability to pay for it, um, which is where we come in, with the contingent fees and the flat fees. So um, it's, it's really been great for our business. And then we've made some claims that are, you know, specifically related to impacts of the virus, um, as you talked about earlier, with the insurance claims. So
1: you mentioned before what it felt like the, the courts start to close, professional life is changing, personal life is changing. Tell me a little bit about what, what did that feel like for you as individuals, and how did that bring you together even more?
2: I mean, I'll, I'll, jump, go ahead. I'll, I'll jump in there. I'll just say that it created a ton of uncertainty for for me. Uh, you know, you we we went from being, um, an incredibly useful arm of a law firm to an arm of a law firm that wasn't doing anything. Um, you know, where, where none of our cases were moving forward. So it became it became scary. Uh, you know, we, you you look around, and a lot of people were losing their jobs. So you know, I looked at myself and I said, Am, am I going to be in the same situation? Um, you know, luckily. Alex and I were able to turn that around and turn a potential negative into an incredible positive because we've we've now we, we, we've taken the opportunity we've taken that, that downtime to establish a law firm and now you know we use that down downtime and we've got we, we've got ourselves established um, and and now the phones are ringing and we're we're working well we're 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 working hard and we're getting a lot of business in
1: the door. And you guys haven't been back to court yet. Are the courts open? Sort of. Tell me, what do you mean sort of? Tell me a bit about that. Um, when when did that happen and what does sort of mean? And what does it look well, like for you guys over the next weeks and months?
0: It 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 depends on the judge. That's what's really crazy. So it used to be that it's this very uniform system. And generally the whole state was the same. The whole country was the same um, for the most part. Now it's it's judge to judge and division to division on who's doing what and how um, so you have to be very familiar with um, the individual judges um, it's great for us because we have such a volume of litigation so we know that you know judge Gamrath is doing things by phone and judge Mitchell isn't doing anything and judge you know so-and-so is, is making people come in person um, so we we know we know everybody so it works out but if you were just to come in and try to litigate you wouldn't even know how to file a motion because it depends on the judge, and like it's not, um, you know, published anywhere who you email your motion to. You know, there's no system set up for any of this. So you got to know. Like, I have a case in DuPage County right now that I don't do much at all in DuPage. David does a bit. I'll probably need his help. But like, so I have a status hearing on next week, and like, I-, I don't know what to do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> me and opposing counsel are all agreed on the legal aspects of it, but the yeah. physical you know, do we go to court in Wheaton or do we call the judge? Then who do we call and who do we email? And, you know, it's just complete uncertainty, which, you know, if you have a case that everybody's agreeing on stuff, it works just fine because you can keep on moving along by agreement, but um, you really can't force much action without, you know, going to court. Like we have a case now where David filed a motion for default in February and the judge won't grant a default because it's a big serious thing without in-person court so like i'm gonna have a trial with that judge via zoom but she still won't grant the default so it's um it's crazy
2: courts have really been forced to scramble Um, i found some of the judges have done a very good job of adopting zoom as technology and communicating via email using their their law clerks and it's required everybody to communicate. You know, uh, opposing counsel, we, we email each other a lot. And you have to try to agree on things. Uh, when you can't, um, you, you file a motion or file a brief and uh, email it to the clerk for the most part and either allow the judge to rule without oral argument or um, and in many instances, the judges are setting oral arguments via Zoom. I had a, a very successful Oral argument via Zoom, where the briefs had been submitted uh, weeks before, and I was actually really surprised to get a email from from the judge's clerk saying you have an oral argument today in one hour. And thankfully, I was in front of my desk and I was prepared, but opposing counsel had to race back and he was still in a, in a t-shirt and shorts during an oral argument. Oh. So um, I found that some of the judges have done a very good job, um, and and it's my it's my hope that. The court system as a whole—that all of ju- all of the judges see how this is working and change the system, because previously uh, we were in court. As Alex said, we 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 might be in court three days a week, um, and and it's it's not necessary on every single case. You, every case you're probably there once a month, and it can it can become a lot. So if you can streamline. Matters via communication both with opposing counsel and judges, um, cases can move forward quick quicker, and attorneys don 't have to be in court as often, which allows us to work on other matters
1: it's interesting what you say about also not just communicating with the court but with the other lawyers and with i 'm sure with each other even um, it's different I mean this is something that we 've all had to adapt to and but with a more rigid system um And that kind of that forced adoption going forward is really interesting. The funny thing is
2: Alex and I have started a law firm and we don't see each other really ever. You know, we've seen, you know, just a handful of times since we started the firm, but uh, we communicate with each other constantly via email. We probably talk on the phone at least once a day. So, um, you know, again, you you have to communicate. Whereas, you know, before you could talk to somebody in person, uh, you have to change the way you're doing things.
0: Yeah. The biggest challenge now is getting the mail. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so you have a downtown office. You got yeah. to slip, slip downtown and uh, see what's going on. I mean, I think going downtown is just like a really interesting idea in general, whether you're going to court or to the office or
0: anything. It's kind of an adventure. I love parking on the street. <laughs> it's totally different, yeah.
2: Even, um, when, even when the courts do eventually reopen, they're going to have to reconsider um, how, how they work because this is this is changing things. And um, the the courts are going to have to adapt how they work in person.
1: Yeah, I mean, just imagine like even the hallways, six feet apart in the hallways. It's, a, it's got some crowded hallways sometimes.
2: Yeah, the the elevators alone. You know, at the day at the yeah. daily center, you know, people just pack into those elevators, so there's no room whatsoever. I, you know, I don't know how they're going to get people to and from courtrooms uh, if they're not cramming into the elevator anymore.
0: Yeah, I went over to federal court last week just to file something which they still required me to deliver the paper files and um, they had little you know decals on the floor of the elevators and then signs warning that only two people in the elevator at a time which once things really open up that well if they ever whenever that happens it's it's there's it's normally packed in the elevators so that'll be a real delay yeah
1: can you tell me a little bit, so the thing really that, so I've known David for a while just through uh, uh, siblings in college and philanthropy and all these kind of things that were involved, but the thing that really kind of drew me towards you guys was this story that I saw um, about this class action suit that you're involved in. And it's inter- it was interesting to me, I think, as someone who's not involved in the law, because I work in a digital marketing agency. we work with a lot we work with many hotels and restaurants and uh have felt like this brunt of uh the closing and what that's meant for them and so seeing this story um and you could tell maybe a little bit more about it of uh you all defending and uh not just defending but going after uh the insurance companies for these businesses it really just like sparked something for me it's like oh it, it sounds good that like someone's doing something here, you know in the time where Personally, I feel like, oh, I'm not always sure what to do. It's good to see people um, doing something. And so maybe you could tell me a little bit about how that came to be and what that's like now. And uh, I'm just, the story there to me is just really intriguing.
0: So I'll start really big picture. Um, so when insurance companies write policies, they, all, they, they watch cases over the years and they, they, every time there's a new decision in a, in a lawsuit, they kind of tweak their policies. And the whole industry sort of follows each other through these, you know, master policies. And, um, what happened was, is back, I think it was the SARS virus. There was a casino that had like 20 million in losses and they won. And a lot of insurance companies and got smart and saw that, you know, this business interruption claim by the casino, um, in Vegas, (coughs) cost insurance company $20 million. So a lot of insurance companies learned that lesson and then put specific virus exclusions in. Um, A lot of them didn't. So the cases are pretty much all against either insurance companies that didn't learn the lesson from the casino getting hit with SARS um, or that didn't write the policies well enough. So what's interesting is that there's, you know, a bunch of lawyers sitting down at the insurance company writing these policies and those guys screwed up because they, they knew this was coming because of SARS and they didn't, change the policies correctly. So what's happening now is there's a handful of insurers that have policies that are written very poorly um, for this point that there's you know thousands of lawsuits. And so some of them are kind of the low hanging fruit. There's um, you know, if somebody's insured by society insurance, like that one, they really shouldn't deny the claims for society insurance. Um, and there's a Zurich policy that's pretty bad and so those got flooded with lawsuits right away. And literally within days of the virus, um, some very smart lawyers in Chicago filed lawsuits against uh, society insurance. And then not long thereafter, people jumped on Zurich. And then we came in with the State Farm case later. Um, now this is going to get a little dry, but it's interesting to me <laughs> and insurance lawyers. Um, so the State Farm case is a little different, because normally what the policies would say is that you know, there would be, um, State Farm kind of tried to fix it after the SARS outbreak, but didn't quite get it right. So what State Farm said was, you're not covered if you have the virus or whatever the contagion is on your premises. And then, and that causes the loss. But you're still covered. If there's a government shutdown. So our argument is that they wrote it wrong because they said you have to have the virus on your property which didn't have, you know, COVID-19 sitting around in your kitchen. You didn't have COVID-19 on your tables and the insurance company sure can't prove it. So it turns on that little narrow issue of whether or not it was physically at the premises. Um, so that's what our case is about. And it's, it's a little bit harder than some of the other ones. So by the time we filed ours last month, nobody, none of the big boys have piled on yet with that, but they will. Um, so that's that's what's unique there. Other cases, um, the big distinguishing factor is you have to show a physical loss. So you only get insurance coverage if your your property's harmed. So normally, you know, there's a flood and then water came in and you actually got touched by the flood. If there was a flood and the government shut down your restaurant, but it didn't it didn't touch your building, then tough, you're out. So what the, what everyone's arguing in those cases is that the virus physically impacted the restaurant, which is different than us. Now we are arguing that the virus didn't impact the restaurant. So it's interesting. It's it's the same fight, but it's picking at different points of very particular little insurance language. Um, and that's, that's where we're fighting over a couple sentences.
2: Alex was really getting into the weeds there in terms of the insurance coverage issues in terms of big picture, I look at it as insurance companies right now are all taking the position that a pandemic couldn't possibly be covered They, they say the insurance policy just isn't for that purpose uh, they would be they would be flooded with claims which they're being flooded with, and they couldn't possibly cover every single one because they'd go bankrupt it's uh, maybe it may be a valid position. Uh, I don't know. But the the reality of the situation is insurance covers what the policy says it covers. So the it's the insurance, po- it's the language of the insurance policy that's going to govern. So the insurance, you know, Alex alluded to the fact that a lot of these insurance companies got smart after the, what SARS or MERS pan uh, Epidemic and they changed their policies to exclude the coverage, but the but the policies that didn't there is still arguably coverage, and that's the important
1: thing Got it and tell me I think I saw it was a restaurant in Evanston or something is the the main what you call a plaintiff yeah, um, yeah. T- tell me like, how did you like how did that relationship come to be um, what does that look like in terms of uh filing a lawsuit like this?
0: Um, well, first from the the business side of it for me, um, as soon as this hit, I had a friend of mine who's very creative say, Hey, you know, we should jump on this. And, um, then I started investigating it and this was, you know, like March 17th, um, very early. Yeah. And so I, I was a little skeptical and kind of picking around at it and then talked to some other friends and then, okay, this sounds like an idea. So then I reached out to, um, every good restaurant lawyer I knew and said, Hey, I'm going to do this. If you got a client, send them to me. Yep. Um, and then one of the guys I reached out to, you know, months later, uh, sent me along Mr. Lee. Um, and then Mr. Lee came in having had his claim rejected recently. Um, him and his dad own the restaurant. Um, it's just a mom and pop. It's mostly his dad that does the work. His dad doesn't speak much English. Um, they're just really nice guys and, um, just a little, you know, father and son business. And the son had some other business ventures that aren't going well with the virus and has been spending more time helping his dad. And he's very concerned about his dad because his dad's in his 70s and working at the restaurant during the pandemic and trying to do the takeout. Um, So he was really concerned about his dad. And his biggest worry was that because we filed the suit, that that would mean that his dad would have to go back as soon as the, uh, whatever government order was to allow him to open up the restaurant. Sure, like the phases. Yeah, so he was worried that They'd have to go by that, absolutely, otherwise they wouldn't have a claim. And and that was his biggest concern was protecting his father. Um, So he's just a sweet guy.
2: One of the things that we've been offering both our clients and friends and colleagues and other attorneys that we know is to take a look at clients' insurance policies. You know, because anybody, you know, any business that's been um, affected by the pandemic, any, any business that has you know, business losses, if they have business interruption coverage, it may potentially be covered the pandemic. So we've been taking a look at people's insurance policies to see if it's covered and if it is, we're offering to take the, take their case.
1: What is like the range of the kind of businesses that you like, you dealt with in this?
0: Um, as far as policies I've looked at for people, sure. um, doctors, um, dog kennels, restaurants, um, talk to my friends who are lawyers about their law firm's policies. Um, so it's it's anything. Um, it, it seems to be rolled into the more general business liability policies as a available coverage.
1: And I, so those conversations you're having are about the insurance and the, the law. I'm sure that you're just also just having kind of general conversations. Like what? how does it feel to be talking to all these people during this time? You know, like from, the, I mean, the idea of like, you know, from March to what is it? Now? It's July now. You know, incredible, like the amount of time that we've been in this. Like, uh, what what have you been hearing?
0: It's scary. Um, it's really sad. It's really sad. I didn't realize how many people, you know, operate on a shoestring, and that just you know, a couple of weeks without income and they're they're done. Um, and this the the incredible struggle. Um, that that just that that what could be a brief and now it's been a pretty long gap in revenue um has on these businesses and that um you know i think people are going to be operating a lot safer and a lot less leveraged going forward after um you know the suffering through this
2: it's been obviously it's been very difficult on many businesses You know, a lot of different industries just have had to shut down i had a client who uh, is in the construction industry and because of the nature of their business, they they shut down during the winter. There's just there, there's no work for them to do, and they pick up work in March. Sure. And they were shut down. Uh, they they couldn't do any business, and sadly, I think they're probably going to go out of business because, you know, they 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 struggle through every winter, and then rely on March through August to 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 make their profit, to make their money, and they haven't seen that this year.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I remember this feeling when it started, I was like, okay, we got, like, I, there was this feeling of like, okay, we have two weeks kind of, okay, we're going to be shut down for a little bit. You know, I remember this was like a, with our own business, you know, we were like, oh, we had two weeks. Let's get as much done in the next two weeks as we possibly can. You know, it's like, okay, we're like, we're a little slow, like things are going. And then, you know, like three, four months later, um, you know, we're, we're going through the phases. And so we're seeing businesses start to open up. And, but I think also, Alex, like you said, like that fear of opening up is also real, you know, like, okay, yes, we do want to open, but it is also scary, um, to just, to be out, you know, everyone has like a little bit of a different perspective on safety and how this is going. But the reality is like, if you got to be out with the people in order to make your money, it's, it's, it's a scary idea. Yeah. And so we definitely
0: noticed that, um, in this i said so, also, you other people just, you know, season the opportunity. I mean, the first, the first client of Loftus and Eisenberg, the, the first paying client was a um, a new business that it was a, a guy that was a liquor bottler and he was transitioning to making hand sanitizer and yeah. he needed to do a capital raise. So I, you know, did all the documents for him to, re- to raise $3 million of capital um, in his new business and he wow. was booming and everybody wanted to give him money because it was the one investment that was, you know, benefiting from COVID yeah and, um no he and he immediately saw the opportunity and seized on it so yeah um and yeah that
1: so was I mean, what just, that was it was that in March
0: yeah but he started then he contacted me right when we started the new business
1: wow and he had to move fast I mean that's that's the thing is it's like that's like the, we have like a week we have two weeks to do this kind of thing you know that feel yeah
0: well he started immediately and then what was interesting was the bank's were so backed up with dealing with SBA loans that he couldn't get a hold of the banks to do traditional financing, and then he was scrambling then to raise money, and then that was getting more complicated. And we had, you know, money coming from Europe and dealing with that, and he needed. And then it got to the point where his local lawyers in Southern Illinois couldn't handle the complexities of the international stuff, and um, yeah, so that was my first business was because of the virus.
1: Um, something I'm interested in and when i was when I was doing the research and seeing what you guys are doing, it's like this alternative fee like you're doing diff like you're you're doing it seems like you're doing work in different ways, and you mentioned this before of like working on on the hour there's these different ways of doing it. Um, how is that like at like the core to your firm like of uh operating in this kind of flexible way? how is that like the how are people finding that? Um, during this time, like, are you working on like a lot of different models right now? Or are you working mostly on one different kind of model? Um, what does that look like for you all?
2: We have a we have a number of different fee structures that we provide clients that we offer clients, and I found that they that they're very appreciative of it. Um, I'd say ninety five to ninety nine percent of litigation litigation attorneys charge by the hour, so you're paying you know four or five hundred dollars an hour for your attorney, and people naturally balk at that. It's extremely expensive. And frankly, it it incentivizes the wrong thing. It incentivizes the attorney to bill more hours, not do good work. So what we do is we offer, we'll we'll, we'll offer the hourly rate for for, for the client that wants it. But we feel that the more advantageous fee structures are alternative fee structures, such as a flat rate, Uh, we will look at a matter and we'll estimate how much time it'll take us and we'll offer them a flat rate. Now there's risks on, on both sides. The client risks that, you know, it, we don't, we don't need to do as much work as we estimated and we come in under, they still, they still pay the flat fee, the flat fee, but on our side, we risk that the, uh, that the matter explodes and there's a, there's a ton more work that we have to do and we put in more time and the client still pays the exact same amount. You know, the obviously the obvious benefit is the client knows exactly what they're paying, and they're not going to receive any surprise bills. Yeah. And then, and then the last thing we offer is uh, contingent fees, contingent fee cases for contingent fee arrangements for for the right case. And that and I should say that uh, in in that type of arrangement, the the, um, the client only pays if they win.
0: Yeah. With the, with the flat monthly fees that we do, it's almost like, it's like we're selling trial insurance because normally you, you litigate through the case and you spend thousands of dollars and you get close to trial and it's like, well, you know, this is going to be two weeks in trial and all this time to prep and this is going to cost you 50 grand to try the case. And you have that conversation with the client and then the other side's willing to settle. So then you settle rather than pay the 50 grand. Um, a lot of what we're doing is pretty, you know, intense emotional, bitter disputes. So they don't want to have to settle just because their lawyer's expensive. And if they've been paying this monthly rate all the way along, we try to set the monthly rate well enough that it's still, you know, profitable for us to try the case. And then we usually have some incentive in, rolled into the the monthly rate, so that they've been paying all the way along that they don't need to, you know, settle just because it's expensive to try the case. They they pay, you know, three thousand dollars to try the case. And it's it's a huge advantage in litigation where, you know, the, the normal game is that if, you know, especially when we're defending a case, a plaintiff creates a whole bunch of work and, you know, sets you know, a dozen depositions and creates this mountain of work. And then right after you create the mountain of work, then you make, and it's the same thing I do as a plaintiff, you create the mountain of work, then you make the demand. And then the the defendant has to weigh it and saying, well, I got to pay my lawyer $100,000 to do all these depositions and do all this work and do a motion for summary judgment. Or settle for three hundred thousand. So I might as well just settle. But when they're paying this flat monthly rate, it has no effect. You know, it just takes the the economics out of the litigation um, from the defense perspective, and you can have freedom to win. Um, so it's you know you you might pay a little bit more some months where not much is happening, but um, you know if we spread out spread it out, it works real well.
2: And I think the real advantage is that the client doesn't get those surprise bills. I've had cases where, you know, for several months, the client is getting a $2,000, $3,000, maybe a $5,000 bill. And then, and then you get into the deposition stage of litigation. And all of a sudden there's a $50,000 bill and the client you know, naturally freaks out because they've been paying much lower bills all along. So if you're, if you, if you offer the, the monthly flat fee, they're not hit by that unexpected $50,000 bill.
1: Got it. There's a lot of interesting things that have been going on. I think that it's interesting that you all have a new business out of this. Obviously you've been working together for a while. If you could go back to January and give yourself some advice or tell you, tell yourself something, um, you know, like if you were going back to the future kind of thing, uh, what, what would you, what would you tell yourself uh, back in January? What would you tell each other? Maybe you're not even telling yourself. Maybe you're just like, oh, hey, I got to tell you something. This is going to happen. You know, what, what, what comes to mind?
2: I would just say buckle up. There's, there's a roller coaster ahead. I think, frankly, we've done a very good job of um, riding out the storm and making the best of it. And uh, we're, you know, hopefully we, we, we're coming through this and we're going to have a very successful business for years to come.
0: I think I just tell myself not to worry so much. Um, I'm always a nervous wreck, and um, things just keep on turning out a lot better than I expected. Um, and that's that's exactly what this has been. It's just you know, I have faith, and it turns out well. Got it.
1: What do you, what do you see around you? Now this is a difficult time. You're dealing with difficult situations. Um, a lot of conversations, like you described before, they're very hard to have. What's inspiring you now? What do you see around you that is, uh, I mean, obviously you, you guys have like an inspiring kind of case right now of like a business that's like emerged from this. You know, I think to me it's, it is almost like it's an inspiring thing to see um, something new come. You know, it's like, it's I imagine like a flower blooming, you know, kind of thing. Uh, but what do, you, what do you see around you or who do you see around you that's really inspiring you right now?
0: Um, <clears throat> there's a lot less... Um just rancor in litigation. I think it's because, you know, clients aren't willing to spend as much money on their lawyers to pick stupid fights. Um, and with us always charging based on results rather than fighting over nothing, it's it's been really nice to see a lot less fighting over nothing um, and a lot more of getting to the heart of the matter and focusing on resolutions. Um, I don't think anybody's like opening up their pocketbooks to settle our big cases, but they are, um, spending a lot less time on trivial matters, and a lot more time on things that matter.
2: Yeah, for me, you know, you, you look around and you see the, the doctors and the nurses who are on the front line, and they're obviously inspiring, and all the essential workers who are going to work and putting them, themselves in harm's way. And I also, um, I think Governor Pritzker has done an amazing job, um, you know, he's, he's in his first term, and um he's been in a very difficult position i think he's done an excellent job um and those are all those are all the pandemic generally but um in terms of business you know it sounds a little corny but um you know alex has been inspiring to me the uh, the amount of um the energy and enthusiasm that he's put into um in, in, into our company our law firm um, has been inspiring and i'm just i'm overjoyed by the fact that, you know, he he chose me to be his partner and that we're in this together because I know that we have many years of successful um, legal practice together at.
1: What is one piece of advice you give to to other people now? We um, kind of asked before, like, what would you tell yourself back then? Like, what what is something that you think that uh, coming through this and working every day and putting on your jacket or your shirt or, whatever, you know, whatever the kind of, you know, sitting where you sit um, what's a piece of advice you can give to other people that are listening to this now uh, to help them kind of get through this time too?
0: Be patient. And it's um, people focus on the the harms right now that are happening, but everything's temporary. You know, the only constant in life is change, and um, it is as bad as it's ever been in America right now, <laughs> and it's not going to happen again, and it's going to end, and everything's going to be great. And you just got to kind of be cautious and, and ride it out. And, you know, sometimes you just buckle, like David was saying, you know, just buckle into the roller coaster and it'll, it'll all turn out fine. Eventually. It always does. You know, we went through a pandemic in 1920 then we had a great depression then we had a world war and then everything was great. And then it got crappy again and then everything's great. And then it got crappy again and everything's great. And that's, that's how it goes. Um, What's kind of amazing right now is like the stock market isn't that bad. So, um, you know, we haven't lost our savings. So that's, we'll check, that's a lost
1: we're, we're in July now. We'll check back in a couple. We'll see how that kind of continues yeah. to go. But I think that that was also, I mean, you know, we did see, like, we saw a big drop and then, come, you know, and then I think we're finishing now. They're saying it's like the best quarter in 20 years.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Um, I, would just, I would just echo that sentiment and you know, extend that and just say, you know, roll with the punches. Um, you know, it's it's easy to you know be afraid of the unknown and be uncertain, but sometimes you just gotta got roll with it and do the best with uh, the hand that you're dealt.
0: And don't don't um, pursue permanent solutions to temporary problems. You know, don't fire your staff because you know you're in a bad time. It's gonna it's gonna come through. You know, don't make big business decisions based on the weird world we're in right now.
1: So we can find you guys at loftusandisenberg.com. and where else can we find you where should we be following along um tell us a little bit
0: um we got our, our facebook page is busy um <laughs> so you can find loftus and eisenberg on facebook uh the linkedin is pretty busy too um we put uh, generally the way i do it is the linkedin is the more in the weeds nerdy stuff we put we try to upload the the full um, briefs that we write and the full complaints. Uh, we just filed a big securities class action, <clears throat> which is probably the biggest coolest case that I've ever filed, and no one cares because it's too complicated. <laughs> it's just killing me. It was like I filed this giant, you know, it's a 52 million dollar um, class action, and it's like just it's just a great case. And so my nerd my nerdy friends in the securities world are patting me on the back for it. But, you know, I text my mom like, hey, did you see I posted on Facebook about this giant case I filed? And she's like, oh, that's nice, honey.
2: <laughs> yeah, if you're, if you're interested, definitely follow us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Alex does a really good job of, uh, of keep, keeping up to date on, what, uh, on the interesting cases that we're filing, the interesting things we're doing. Um, several of our cases have made the news. Um, Alex has posted about those. And I know I need to get a little better about uh, posting on social media, too.
1: And you'll find that you can find this episode at restarting-america.com. And we'll be posting about it too and tagging Alex and David uh, in all of our stuff. And we want to thank them a lot for being with us today and uh, wish them really a lot of good luck as they continue on and uh, building their successful legal practice.
2: Thank you, Josh. Thanks for having us.
1: Thank you for listening to the Restarting America podcast. Make sure to subscribe and follow us. Leave a review. You can visit us at restarting-america.com and find more episodes in your favorite podcast app or on our website.